Hello everybody and welcome back to a very windy edition of the Junto. Uh, we're not in the windy city, we're actually in Miami. And it's raining, it's 90 degrees. And it's the windiest, it's been all weekend. Classic when you're trying to record a podcast. Brought the wind with you. Yeah, we have our first ever northerner on the show. Jordi, oi oi. Yeah, <laughs> literally, <laughs> Daniel Ross. Um, a man I've only met twice, this being the second time. Uh, a travel connoisseur, uh, a really brilliant bloke, a man who speaks way more languages than me. And yeah, man, just excited we could have you and, and glad we linked up in Miami. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I think that um, I'm a believer that the universe throws people together at certain times in certain places, and I feel like this is one of them. So yeah, I'm glad we got to hang out. Absolutely. So last time I saw you, we were in New York. We were. On the Intrepid. Quite random. Very random. It was definitely a different time. I think for both of us in our careers, um, I was just getting EE off the ground and, you know, you were working in travel, albeit in a different space. So I'm curious, what's changed since 2019? Well, you know, there was, there was a couple of things like a global pandemic came along that changed a few things, you know, um, but what's changed mainly for me is that sort of the pandemic and the changes that have happened have helped me to take control of my life and put it in it make it go in a way that wasn't being controlled by anybody else anymore and I was able to sort of like thank you I was able to make sure that I was going in the right direction not being held back by anything or anyone and so what was life like for you before the pandemic I was constantly chasing my tail trying to keep up with everything um, Getting that work-life balance was just something that was like impossible. I think when I was like full-time employed, um, I struggled with that a lot. Um, <laughs> the wind is crazy, <laughs> scratching things off me. Um, and looking back, I thought I was living what I thought right then was the dream. You know, I had the job that I loved, and I was traveling all the time. But looking back from where I am now to then, I wasn't happy, and I was I was living this. So I was living vicariously through myself almost because I wasn't ever really present in what I was doing. It was always like, what's the next thing? How can I be better at this? Or how can I do this? And I was never like focused on the now. It was always on more, 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 want more. And now I've stripped it all back and started from scratch. And now I appreciate everything day by day rather than looking to the future all the time. So where were you when the pandemic hit? I had just come back from Brazil, actually. I'd been working remotely there for a while. And I was looking for a place to live in London because my contract, my, my rent was up. And um, I was staying with some friends, two of my best friends who, uh, they've now got a little daughter and I was staying in their spare room at the time. And they were like, oh, you can, you can stay with us as long as the, the pandemic happens. And I was like, guys, it's now April. We locked down in March. We all need our own space. And so I was looking for somewhere to live in London, but live on my own because it was a pandemic. And I was like, this isn't going to blow over anytime soon. So. I took the decision to leave London, where I built a life for myself, my career, my friends, all my social life. Thank you very much. Everything, my whole life was in London, and I took the decision to go back and move into my childhood bedroom in my dad's house. And so that was April 2020. And it sort of, yeah, that was a real pivotal moment because it was like, okay, I'm 30 years old, and I'm going completely back to basics. I'm now living out of my childhood bedroom. What am I doing with my life? And so, yeah, that's, that was the sort of when everything started to change. Tell us your story growing up. You know, I, I couldn't quite believe it when I was looking you up ahead of today. Went to Loughborough, 
You've been an interpreter, worked at Manchester United. You speak three to four languages. You're teaching yourself Greek. Now you're a freelance travel producer. I mean, there's not much you haven't done. But what's the arc? And what's the why? What are you chasing? Um, So that's a good question, actually. What am I chasing? Like, what is it? Doing something every single day that I'm passionate about and that, like, brings me joy. That's sort of... It's that icky guy, isn't it, that people talk about a lot these days. It's about combining something that you love combining something that you're good at and combining something that I think it's that can be used by someone else or that someone else needs and if you can get all those three together you, you've got the icky guy you've got like that perfect sort of like balance and that's sort of what I have with what I do now I absolutely love traveling I've studied aviation got a master's in, in aviation so like airlines wow. and airports know that sort of like inside out yeah and people come to me on a daily basis and ask me questions about like booking a flight or what insurance to get or how to use their points and miles and it, I feel bad because I don't have the time to sit through my Instagram and like answer all these questions um, but it's really humbling sometimes when I get messages from people that I don't know or people even that I do and I've been like hey Dan just want to let you know I'm here because of you or this because of you and that's the third part of the Ikigai which is like it's useful for other people and that makes it all worthwhile for me to be doing what I'm doing you keep saying Ikigai yeah what's that it's a Japanese term that gets thrown around in a in a, a men's sorry, it's a Japanese term that gets thrown around in um, a men's mental health um, group that I, I I facilitate on a Monday, and there's a guy who talks about it a lot on there, and it, it's yeah, if you guys, is, you get the three parts of your life down. It's um, finding something you're good at, finding something that makes you money, and find something that people need, and those three together they call that icky guy. I think there might be a fourth one, um, but yeah, it's something something along those lines. And so tell me like. You clearly now are in a very different space to where you were when I met you. You're not working for somebody else. You own your time. How, how is that? Owning your own time is like anything. There are pros and cons to it. Um, I think if I hadn't had a job where I was so micromanaged and so conscious of every waking hour of my day not being devoted to working, I think if I hadn't had that, I would have struggled doing the freelance gig that I'm doing now because... I treat my days like a nine to six every single day. Like, and if I'm not working, I feel guilty. So that is something that I'm grateful that I've had because it enabled me to have this work ethic that now I have to live this freelance life, okay? But what it is amazing is that I struggled when I was full-time is that the way my brain works, like if, I, if my brain isn't creative, I can't write. If my brain, like is, if, I'm, if I'm, I don't know, like having a, a black dog day or just not feeling so good like I can't force myself to be creative and in when I was working full-time for like a, a media publication you have deadlines that you have to hit and if I'm having like a day where I'm feeling really low and I can't concentrate I've got no creativity you miss that deadline that's that's like a, a strike against you kind of thing but now I work get all my things done that I need to do but I do it when my brain's working so I might end up working one time I don't know 9 p.m. till midnight but I'll get so much work done rather than sitting at my desk trying to work like all day just because they're the allotted times that I was given that I need to work in that for me has been the biggest blessing that now I don't really care when I work but it's also the double-edged sword of that is that you don't really like add it all up so I don't really know how much time I'm spending working and how much I'm not but at the same time it doesn't matter because the balance for now seems to be right fascinating we had a, a great conversation kind of last night about family um, and some of the questions we tossed around were, what were your parents' ambitions for you? Uh, which ones did you fulfill? What's still yet for you to achieve? I guess I'm curious, 
how much of a role does family play in this effectively the only Geordie world traveler savant that I know now in a different country almost every three days I mean yeah. you don't you don't really associate that archetype with the north of England so who who put that in you um do you know what I have to thank my mum and my auntie for this actually because well and my dad so my love of planes started my dad would take me to local airport Newcastle airport which is like nothing like Heathrow or Miami or whatever right right and we'd go on day trips me and my brother we'd take like the train and the underground metro and we'd go and stand this is the day where you could go like through the airport to the actual like land uh, airside you call it so past security and you could watch like the planes from the outside terrace and I used to collect all the little notebooks from the um, like KLM and Air France and British Airways the timetables and I'd get home and I pretend people were ringing me. This is I was like nine, eleven, like ten, eleven years old. Pretending people were ringing me to book holidays, and I was obsessed with flying and travel. Since then, and it became my dream to be a pilot. And wow. that's where all this—that's where all this started, to be honest. And then when I was thirteen, um, a, another long story. But my, we basically found out that my grandma had had two children while my mum was growing up that my mum didn't know about, and we found out about this like when they were fully grown women, and somehow my wow. mum didn't notice and just grew up anyway. And so one of those of my aunts lives in Spain and I'd met her maybe once in England before and my mum put me on a plane one way to the two, um, with a return ticket to Spain I flew on my own for the first time when I was 13 and I remember being dropped off at the airport and just have this like sense of freedom and so the combination of the aviation passion and that sort of like early early experience of traveling on my own for the first time those two things together it just was uh, since then that's all I ever wanted to do really and I've tried I tried working in finance, I've tried working in financial services, I've tried doing all the corporate jobs that I was just dreaming about working in this world. So, yeah. Tell us about 25-year-old Dan. We know okay. what 30-year-old looks like a little bit, but tell us about 25-year-old Dan. Wow, you know, it's, it is crazy people say about like age and you grow older when your perspective changes, but it really, really does. Like me as 25, I was living in London, I was racking up, ridiculous amounts of debt living a lifestyle that I like couldn't afford to live doing things that I thought I should be doing because I was 25 years old 25 years old in London and I didn't have any goals in terms of career progression I didn't have any want or desire to have my own place I was just sort of living this like fast and furious life in London thinking I was living the dream. And don't get me wrong, would I change what I did at 25-year-old Dan? Absolutely not, because all the things I've done in my 20s, all the mistakes I've made, all of the people that I've met, all of the things I've learned, like that's got to me to where I am now. And so to think, oh, you were a bit of a mess when you were 25. Yeah, I might have been a bit of a mess when I was 25, but look where that mess is now, you know? And if I was going through that messy stage now, like my life would be in my 30s, that would be, you know, you'd worry a little bit. We have a few... Uh, we have a couple of amazing speakers around the table, people that speak different languages. And recently I've been reflecting on what my life would be like if I could do what I do in two languages. And so I'm curious what doors that's open for you, especially as a Brit, like unlike Americans who are so good at learning other languages, in Britain it's a sh it's shocking statistic. Yeah. yeah, it really and, is. And the number of people now that take a French A-level but still couldn't get around is unbelievable. So you are an anomaly in that context. And I'm just curious, like, what is it like to be able to do what you do in multiple languages and, and how has that been able to open up your kind of entrepreneurial path? So, so in terms of how the languages get me, help me day to day, it's not so much 
be brought into my career yet. Um, although there are times where I'll be looking for articles to write or for news in the industry and I'll pick up something that was on Spanish aviation websites or French aviation websites that colleagues of mine who wouldn't speak English wouldn't have been able to do. So in that sense, like there are times where it is an advantage. But for me, the language aspect comes into play more when I'm um, I haven't I haven't really launched much of like the creative writing side yet, but I'm going to hopefully get into that about writing about my travels and stuff in a more creative way. But for me, the languages come into play when I'm in Miami, when I'm in Brazil, when I'm in France, when I'm in Greece, when I'm in these places. And the people that you meet, you meet them in such a different way to as if you were trying to speak this like pigeon English with them. And they let you into their heart. They let you into their homes. They, they're just warm to you so much more. So for me, culturally, I think me growing as a person and the things that I learn to help like spruce up my writing, help that all comes from the languages that I speak and the people that I meet. I just had a conversation with the Uber driver on the way here. He is from Cuba and we were talking about how even in Miami, if you only speak English and go for a job, someone who speaks English and Spanish will get that job over you. And that blew my mind because that just isn't the case in the UK. Right. So in terms of where, it, where I want to go with that, into, like how is it going to help me in my career? I'm not really sure yet, but in terms of how it like improves my life and makes my life, I don't know, more rich, then I wouldn't change it for the world. Is this the most successful you've been? It depends how you quantify success, right? Um, because um, financially, that's a hard one because I'm my first year of freelance. So until my accountant tells me everything and that's all really, I mean, I've got a rough idea and financially I'm better off than I was before, but I don't know to what extent. So if you're talking about success in a financial metric, I would say, yes, this is the most successful I'd be. But then success also comes down to sort of, I think, I think personally, work-life balance and getting out of bed every morning and not, I know it sounds corny, like not feeling like what you do is work. There are some days and I'm like, oh my God, I've got this to write still and I'm not really interested in it. And yeah, of course, I'm not gonna paint this picture and be like, my life is perfect, I'm living the dream. Like, it's not, you know, like, but I've, this is the life I, I keep saying this to people at the minute because people are like, oh, you're away for how long? You're on holiday, enjoy your trip, enjoy your holidays. And I'm like, guys, like this is not a holiday. And like, that's why I keep making sure that people see on my, on my social media that I'm on my laptop, I'm working because I don't want people to just think that this guy is living the big life, think, creating this fake idea of what it's like to do what I do because that gives a fake idea of um, like, oh, I wish I could do what Dan's doing. But if they really knew like what goes on behind the scenes, I want them to be sure that it's not just this like paradisic life, even though I wouldn't swap it, do you know what I mean? But it's still real at the end of the day, I'm still working. Um, so I think for me, successfully in terms of that work-life balance and, and being able to do what I do, this is the most successful I've ever been, 100%. We talked a little bit on the phone this week and social media is a job. And often it's a job that doesn't get you paid, right? And yep. we talked about even with you, and I hope you don't mind me sharing this, but you know, just telling people that you did something isn't the thing that you actually get paid for, but you have to spend a lot of time and you're actually really, really good at it. So I'm just curious, like, how do you, how do you check yourself on that? Because it's easy to spend 45 minutes on the post and think, all right, yeah, job done. But it might not actually get you the desired result. Yeah, so I used to be, when social media, I, I earn money from social media now and I didn't in the past through it depends like like different brand deals um but they're 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 starting now that's not how i make most of my money by any means that's the editorial side so what i write but that's something that's picking up and something that i won't build on because it's um i don't know i think i get it's a different satisfaction that comes from that 
than the writing. Right. And I think I'm able to be more creative when it comes to social media than I am in my editorial. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a different story. Um, so what was, what was the original question? Oh yeah, so how, how do I check myself? Yeah. So it dep- I have to now, so yeah, back in the day when I didn't use social media for my job, I'd be obsessed with how many likes things got. And that actually is not what people, brands that I'm working with want to know. Interesting. It's, it likes means absolutely nothing. It's all about the engagement that you can create on a post that will use the, the, the Instagram's algorithm and like make it seen by more people. So for me, I use my time working on things that I'll be able to use to pitch to a client to be like, this is what you can expect from me if I work with you. Or something that, for example, I, I flew over here, JetBlue flew me and a colleague out. And that was like my first airline brand partnership, which was the most exciting, incredible, like I was so grateful for that opportunity and it was amazing. So me and Chelsea, when we got to New York, we spent, we worked it out, I think between us, we probably spent about 30 hours curating the stories, posting them together, because not only did we just spend all the time on the plane, did we spent the entire flight, there were three hours of the eight and a half hour flight where I literally was like, I can't do this anymore. Watch like, a movie, chill out. Yeah, I did that towards the end of the flight and I was like, do you know what? You've done so much today. And so what we do is we kind of have like a, a random, not random, but we have a bit of a script that we both have beforehand because obviously we're at different parts of the plane. And so she gets all her videos, I get all of mine. Then when we sit on the ground, we don't post any of the story until we go through all of our content that each of us has and create the story. Like, this is what she had for food. This is what I had for food. This is what my seat was like. This is what her bathroom was like. And we, we match up those stories and we post it one after the other by reposting to the story. So that took us all in all, probably between 30 and 50 hours between the two of us with taking, creating the content and, and like putting it all together. We'll see for that was worth every dime of my time because it was something that it was kind of a part of a brand deal. And so that was really important. Whereas like a post, I don't really post just me in Miami anymore. I don't really like just post willy nilly. Like if I'm going to post that I'm in Miami, I want to give people tips about Miami or teach them something about Miami because it's going to take me a while to edit and post that anyway. So I may as well spend more time teaching someone from that as well, rather than just posting willy nilly. But it's the stories that take a lot of time to curate. Like I haven't posted now for 24 hours and people are messaging me about my tooth being like worried and shit, but I need to get into that. And then I've got stories from yesterday. And that is a bit of a backlog sometimes of like getting those out and you know, but it is, it is hard. Like there's a balance with that because at the end of the day, at the minute, my money comes from my writing, not my social. So it is hard to get that balance right. But if I neglect social, it will impact me further down the line. So how big is your audience? Um, it's 19, just over 19,000, which is, it's, it's not massive in terms of like, like influencers, but that's not what I would ever say that I am. Like an influencer is, for me, my opinion on influencing is anyone with a beautiful white smile, a boob job, and a six pack can influence on social media because a brand will work with them and they can post a top of a selfie. For me, it's more about content creating and that's right. how I would explain more what I do rather than influencing because I think it has a real negative connotation to it in a lot of ways. Oh God, the influence. I've seen things around Miami and New York no influencers allowed. Like, I know it's kind of jokey, but it is a thing, right? Right. And I think there's a difference, but the main difference between it, influencing is just to promote a brand, whereas content creating, you're trying to teach people something as well. Got a question from Caroline here. Hi, Caroline. I have been, I found myself struggling to not just post to social media, but actually create content because it can just be mentally exhausting. So how do you... How do you best prepare? I know people have always talked about chunking 
you know, social media posts and doing it all at once and then being able to schedule it to post later. Um, even that is hard for me to just start because I am just so annoyed at the beginning to even start writing all of this content. And I just wanted to ask, how do you how do you get yourself to start? How do you find inspiration and then actually see it, see see it, it through, through and execute? Yeah, it's a really good question. So, for example, when I'm traveling like I'm doing now, um, that's what I do. So I need to be on top of my stories and like showing what I do every day. But I think one of the main things about, yeah, like you say, creating the content is making sure that you're doing it, but being present in the moment too. Now, I see a lot of people on their phones like taking pictures and then I have some friends who I go to dinner with and we first, we'll get there and first they'll take pictures and then they'll be posting it and they'll be editing it. And it's like, wait, stop. Like, yes, take the pictures. Yes, take the video. Yes, do a bit of talking to Cam, whatever. Do it all, but be in the moment. Because so you don't have to do it right now. No, oh my God, no. That, that is, I, I, I used to do that. But it's, again, it's exhausting. So I'll find myself getting just even just some snippets of video or random pictures that I don't even really take much time on. But then at the end of the day, I try and focus myself, give myself like an hour or so to go through my day and be like, okay, what story can I weave through this, these images? Because at the time, you might be having dinner, but like saying, oh, this is an amazing food or whatever else. This restaurant's really good. It's not too expensive and, and the staff were amazing, right? Whatever. But then something that happens after that, that might have changed already by then. So I, th- I find it so much easier to tell a story with the images and the videos that I already have rather than trying to create it as I go. And so my advice to you in that sense would be, don't stop creating it, like keep getting the content. And then it's something you can look forward to at the end of the day and be like, oh my God, I've had a really good day today. Let's sit and look down actually what I, what I grabbed. And then from, from the experience you've had during that day, you've, you've had a great day, you're relaxed. You can sit through and you'll be like, oh, this was really good. Boom, boom, boom post five to 10 stories, whatever it needs. And then cool, you can, you can relax after that and dedicate time to it for, I find with social media, it can suck so much time out of your life. So now what I try and do is the whole being present when I'm using social media and when I'm using it, I'm on it for a reason, not just scrolling. And I actually find that I use Instagram a lot less now, even though it may look like I use it a lot. Can we ask what your screen time is on Instagram? Do you know what? My actual Instagram screen time, I'm not sure. I could have a look, but then I keep getting shocked every single week at my screen time. It's like going up and up and up. And then I realize it's because it takes into consideration my laptop as well. Got it. Yeah. And so that completely throws it off. It says like 14 hours a day and I'm like, yeah, I know, but like I'm not on my phone 14 hours a day. Like I'm barely on my phone. Right, but does right, that right. kind of answer your question? Good to have the idea that I can take time to not just post content, but actually try to create the story. Exactly. I really like that. Exactly, because that's, that's what will that's what people will engage with and that's what people will true the, the amount of people I, like i've never heard from before have never messaged me like on this show have been like i'm really loving following your journey here like and that's it's kind of humbling because there are people who like who are travel influencers and whatever always just trying to show like the fanciness and the this and the that and fair enough like i do fly like business class with points and miles and stuff and it's part of a huge part of what i do but at the same time i might fly business class but I'll wait 30 minutes in a sweaty Uber line in Miami airport. Like, do, like yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, you've got to get that balance right. And I think if you yeah. can sh- show a story that's authentic and show that actually this is, my, this is this girl that I follow and she's got a real like soul to her, that's so engaging rather than just someone, oh, she, she looks like she's living her best life all the time, you know? See what I'm saying? That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for sharing. No worries. Thanks for the question. We have an educator here um, who I think is quite wonderful. I'm going to bring in Alexia. And I'm just so curious... Dan, I think what you've done is you're pioneering a strategy. You're using it for travel where we expect 
what you're doing. We don't necessarily expect this from a teacher. And Lex shared last night, um, as she kind of runs her classroom, that there's limits to the iPad time. And she's really trying to promote curiosity. And so I'm curious, how have you seen educators do what you're talking about really effectively? And then also, you said that you use social media to teach people things. That's her entire job. Is that how you see yourself? In terms of, do I, do I see myself like... An so you're, not, you're not an influencer. Are you an educator? Um, I, would, I would like to say that people do learn things from me, which is essentially what an educator does. In no means am I giving people the grounds to, like, I don't know, to build on in their life. You know, like I'm teaching people about things that aren't English, math, science, whatever else. In terms of that, like, I couldn't do that. And I have so much respect for people like, like educators who, who do that day to day because I find that it's such an incredible skill to have. That's not, that's not my forte whatsoever. I think, like you say, like, there is, there is, a, there is a limit that, sh- that should be put on, on definitely on, on screen times. And the, the, the creativity side is so, so, so important. And I actually feel that I was never allowed to play my Xbox or my PlayStation when I was a kid for more than like two hours at a time. And I actually really value that. At the time, I hated my mom and dad for it. But I'm so glad because I, like, I would create my own games and my own stories. And I think that's helped me a lot like with what I do now because that creativity that I would have lost potentially if I'd just been on a screen, I, I might not have had. So one thing that I've tried to do in my classroom is stemming from, we just talked about Larry Oham, but my time there, connecting them with my former students and showing them I'm from the smallest state. I teach in one of the most impoverished districts and they don't really go outside of their community. And so showing them videos and reading books from different cultures and learning about like we were learning about Vietnam and now we a couple months ago we were learning about Brazil and we studied a little bit about Russia and um, Israel and I was sharing new languages with them and just certain words and like looking up the translations and it's beautiful because we have so much access now um, but I think it's and as you've shown through your work, using it tactfully and showing people authenticity. Like it's so easy to go on this gla- like a glamorous vacation, but to show my students that in terms of accessibility mm. and inclusion, no. that's not no, real no, for no. them. That's not going to show them real life. That's, that's not, not ni- attainable that's not for real them. Life. That's unattainable. It, it is exactly. something they will be able to do with their lives one day, right? Yeah, but, right. right. But there's, there's too much of a gap between where they are now and then what right. they see is, is this like luxury thing that they're never going to achieve. Right. There needs to, there needs to be like steps and I guess like a good thing to do with that is to bring in things about other cultures, other countries because it's going to give them this desire to want to learn more and to want to experience themselves and then they're going to be like, okay, so how do I get to Latin America? Actually, Actually, can I do that one day? But do I need to speak the language? Okay, is there a Spanish course I can learn? And it just sparks off this desire that yep. they, that, so you, like, it's like a little step every time, right? Rather than being like, I'm never going to make that big leap to flying business class to Europe. But if I start learning Spanish Great. and I get on another course and then I might be able to visit Latin America and then, you know, it just opens all these doors and it's, it's giving them like samples of something that's really attainable without saying this is going to get you that, but they're the steps that will end up getting them there. Right. And... I mean, even connecting them with my former students, I did it via WhatsApp. So I had the teacher I worked with um, ha- record just a few of the students asking questions in English. And then I recorded my students 
asking questions in Spanish. And they were just blown away that they could communicate with other kids. And I mean, it goes beyond like the pen pal letter yeah, thing. Yeah. It's like technology's afforded that opportunity to like engage lo- live time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it's beautiful, but I think the authenticity and the accessibility is huge, especially now. I think we're stepping away from like the glamour and glitz, which is totally my Instagram. Yeah. But, and, that, and that's absolutely fine as but well. You that's know? Like, my personal. Yeah, like yeah. I'm, it, that's just for uh-huh. me to exactly. enjoy. That's for you to show your friends and be like, right. live my best life. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? Right. But I feel like when you have a platform, it's almost taking that responsibility. Yeah. yeah. I never until I had say like around ten followers. Like I, I, I kind of treated my Instagram like that as well. Yeah. But it's important to know your audience, and I know my audience, and and that kind of thing like wouldn't wash with them, you know. Right. And it's not what I want to do but going back to what you said about the, the speaking with your, your ex-students so do you mean students that have graduated from your school and have like gone on to like work and whatever or do no, you mean students, the students from Spain connecting with your Rhode Island students yeah oh, connecting oh my them God, to Rhode is, Island yeah, students that is such so like a my, cute thing to be able to do I've been it's now been four years so I it was my first graders who are now fifth graders speaking with my second third graders yeah, so, yeah. that's so important like yeah. to learn a language you need to immerse yourself in a culture and be with the people and speak that language. So if they're not able to do that by literally traveling there, you provided the, the next best option by giving them relatable people who are on their level and being like, oh, we are gonna talk about the same thing. This is not reading out of a textbook. This is not my teacher telling me like how to, how to conjugate the verb estar. This, right. is, this is me using what I practice and it makes them feel, oh wow, when you have that click moment, like that's one of the most important things for me. And it, it's like it's like a drug because when you like go like I was in Greece and I'm learning Greece at the minute and it's a really hard language and like as I as I was there this recent time, being a, be, people me being able to put a sentence together and someone responding to me even though when they respond I'm like eh because they speak so quick and that my brain can't process it yet but the fact that they understood what I was saying is such like it's like an elation moment and so for the kids that you've been able to provide that. That's going to make them want to learn more. more. Right. Because they're like, oh, it's useful. Yeah. It's like, wow, wow, someone understands me. This this isn't all for nothing. Right. This makes sense to do this. Right. And I mean, they'll tease me. They're like, Miss Alexia, why? I'm teaching that I teach them Spanish. Um, And I have two students. I have two students who speak Spanish completely oh, wow. as, so their, from, as their first oh, language. Nice. Mm-hmm. So I, I, Rel, I, I, you know, know, I don't have, have a ESL, ESL classroom or ELL, ELL classroom. Yeah. Um, I have a special a classroom for, for students with special needs. So is on that top special of learning that, needs or is it? Special learning needs, behavioral okay. needs. Oh, wow. So on top of that dynamic, yeah. I'm also giving directions and like addressing them in yeah. Spanish. So they're constantly like, <laughs> that's so good though because it'll challenge them in ways that they yeah. won't be able to be challenged otherwise right and and raise the bar yeah. like make it harder lines love yeah. them they soak we, it in so much quicker than we do at our age absolutely that's what i i mean when i taught in spain i was so blown away by the amount of students that spoke more than two languages it's so common in europe yeah it. it's so common yeah. I was like, what are we doing wrong here in the United States? Same in the UK. A it's stuff. a joke. Yeah, so many things. Same in the UK, though. Like, yeah. nowhere's perfect. But like in the UK, it's kind of like, oh, we have to do a language to the age of 15. I can't wait to drop this. Madame whatever stinks of cheese. Like, that's yes. how language is treated by kids at school. Yeah. And it, it's without it, like, I wouldn't be where I am in my life right now. And what you're doing, helping these kids by 
like giving them that little bit of, oh, I can do this. That's so special because like it, it takes it away from a textbook learning, I've got to do this. You're making it real. You're making it authentic. You're giving them an experience that makes them like, oh, I want to do this some more. So yeah. And clearly there's a yearning for it because there's so many like Duolingo, Babbel. I use Duolingo every single day. Really? I have like a, I have a 480 <laughs> day streak. No yeah. way. That's yeah. amazing. I started French and then I, I kind of dropped off a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> like there's so many platforms now and it's, it's amazing. It's like, so clearly people are seeking that. It's on mainstream, like the UK, one, two, three, four, five, the main TV channels. They run ads now, Duolingo and other similar platforms really? to download the app. And that's how much of, of, of a need there is. And because they've turned it into like a game where you can earn points and you can see your friends and you can challenge and all that kind of stuff. That it's so more interactive and it makes it fun to do. It's not like yeah. a chore. Yeah. Yeah. It's an incentive to connect yeah, definitely. deeper. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, could I, if I could interject, of course, yeah. I think this conversation of language. So I'm a, a sole English speaker. I'm not what you described, but I'm close in that I never took a language beyond GCSE, but... Is that because you didn't feel like, why should I am British? Is it because you, did, you didn't feel you were good at it? Or is it because you had not enough space in the, in, the, in the subjects you could choose to go on with? Or was it a combination of the three? Combination, right? It's, um, this is hard and it's different. I don't see the immediate value. Mm -hmm. That's hard for a child. If they don't see the immediate re reward from it, Especially now, yeah. you've got everything at a fingertip. Yeah, why would you need to do that? And we'll be real, uh, the university is not going to respect this A-level, so I may as well go do something in English. And, and that's kind of it. And also, where are my um, positive role models? We're talking about it. It's so funny, and I've spoken to the, the ladies about this at length, Dan, but I wrote an editor's letter called Making Sense. And the whole point of Making Sense was like, that's the hardest part of being an entrepreneur is okay, I know what I'm doing, but am I using the language that allows you to put that into your mind? So I'm approaching language from maybe a more fundamental perspective, but it does feel like sometimes I'm speaking Spanish, even though I don't know a lick of Spanish. Yeah, yeah. When I'm talking about uh, the modern day plight of students, when I'm talking about value, and I'm talking about people building a life. And so what you're describing is everything that I'm chasing, but I'm chasing it in, my, in a language that I am technically fluent in in your language yeah I, I, I'm using English to describe what I'm doing but people are like I may as well be speaking Spanish because people are going huh like the same face you've used and so that concept of making sense I think that drives all of us like what do we want to do really beyond make sense other than like provide for ourselves and be okay and have enough money to sustain our kind of cool Maslow hierarchy of needs we just want to make sense yeah like Olivia um Makes music, right? Another Nick. creative, love it. <laughs> makes music. What does she want to do? Is it really, really fun staying up super late, making sure that chord is perfect? No, but it's for, wow. Cause I listened to that song and that put words to something I couldn't describe. Yeah. I'm fascinated by that. What is that? Is it a skill? How can you get good at it? Because I agree. I could go and do this in Spanish and French. Caroline, I can't wait. But that to me is the, the sign of somebody who's brilliant, who can put things into words that you were looking for, but, but didn't have. Caroline. Wow. Okay. I don't think everyone would agree with my perspective. It's just my background, but I am in sales. And I think that this is highly related to having a skill of communication that relates to selling your idea. 
And I think it's really important to, it, we were talking about this with Camille, our awesome photographer earlier. She, um, she's been studying psychology and is going to pursue that more. And I think that there is a large part of sales and communication that requires someone to really understand who they're talking to, who their audience is, how to appeal to them, and ultimately how to communicate with them. Not everyone's going to respond similarly to numbers no. or logic no. or emotions no. or stories. And it's, it's important for everyone to be able to um, have that human connection with other people and understand where they're coming from. And it's ultimately maybe to communicate with them and, and maybe to sell um, on a more like transactional <laughs> level. <laughs> but, level. Uh, but it's important and I think it, it, can, it can change a relationship and bond people if you can actually speak to them and speak to their heart. Even if it is just in statistics, you know, something like that. Like it, it is really important. And Cornelius, when I, we when we met in DC, I definitely spoke more about that. Like uh, when we talked about the website, any feedback, um, and I, I definitely said, okay, well, I'm a more logical person. You know, a story's not going to appeal to me. Can we get more facts on there? Stuff like that, because it's important to be able to, you know appeal to a little bit of everyone not everyone's gonna communicate the same way and that to me beautifully said and that to me is the biggest difference is you're not going around with a sign above your head that says hey mm. speak this language to yeah me. yeah yeah and actually that's so different we, we went to this amazing restaurant called leku last night like you're gonna have to chime in here with the correct pronunciation but uh, basta they, they were speaking basta well what's the the spanish dialect they were speaking that isn't rooted in oh, any language. Oh, Usquera. The Basque language. Oh, right. Okay. And it's completely, it's an oral tradition. Okay. So when I, my roommate in Spain um, spoke Usquera and the first, like, when I walked into the apartment and I said, hola, she just said, looked at me and said, hola. It's like, okay, that it? And then I found out there's a whole oral tradition. And so when you say an oral tradition, is that sort of like... It's not written. No it's way. It's like literally like all spoken. I am and today years old when I'm learning that. Like, I feel like a man. bad ex-Spanish liverer. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you know, what like the hell, what how the am I really learning that? Yeah. That's insane. And Carol, uh, Carol, Olivia was saying that, oh, you can elaborate on like the kind of dynamic of and like the hierarchy of the language in Spain and how that functions. You were talking about that. I mean, it could be a little bit controversial, but... Um, essentially, the, the language Uskera doesn't have any sort of root in any other language in the world. Um, kind of like Welsh or something like a really... A little bit, yeah. yeah. Like, you said that. It is the same though, right? No, Welsh is like, Yeah, what? there's <laughs> nothing. You're like, this is completely random. Um, but yeah, so basically it can be used as a way to gatekeep and, and kind of keep... Protect the culture. Yes, protect the culture. Um, so a lot of times they will not teach other people outsiders their language, um, which is just kind of a fascinating phenomenon, in my opinion. hundred percent same. And it's a similar thing in Catalonia. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, Catalonia. I learned very quickly that well, I don't actually, speak Spanish. I speak Castellano. Castellano. Because Catalan yeah. is also a Spanish language. Okay. Yeah. So you will offend people by being like, oh, no hablo, solo hablo Castellano. And they're like. No, no, solo hablo español. Ah, no, español. But, ah, like, no, 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 you castellano. speak castellano, papi. <laughs> yeah, but that's what's interesting too, though. 
I studied abroad in Madrid. Nice. Um, See, that's Spanish is completely different too, right? Well, that's Castellano, yeah. but um, my exchange student I've known for like 10 years now, she lives outside of Barcelona in a really small town and she's very pro-independence. And is she from there? Yes, yes. Um, what's interesting though is is the people of Cat uh, Catalonia will use that language to inspire others to join their cause. So a lot of refugees that come to Catalonia, they will teach it political. and they will embrace. Yeah. It's very, it's used in a very different way politically. Yeah. But I think that's just the whole idea of using language as a way of of um, inviting in and keeping yeah. out other people I'd, and pushing agendas is I'd, very I'd interesting. I'd never thought of it in that way. And to be honest, before I moved to Catalan, it's Catalonia to Catalan, before I lived in Barcelona, I was very, oh my God, why is everything in two languages that look so the same? I don't get it. It sounds awful. What's the point? It's Spain, blah, blah, blah. Get over it. And only after living there, making friends with the locals and understanding that Catalonia has a culture that is so different from the rest of Spain. Like I, I've lived that now, like I understand it. And so now I made an effort to learn Catalan to a point where when I'm with my Catal like friends from Catalonia, I'll say to them, look, you guys don't speak in Castellano because because I'm here. I'm in your world right now. You carry on in Catalan, and if I can respond in Catalan, I will. But if not, I'll respond in Castellano, and they're absolutely happy yeah. with that. And for me, it's so important. Again, like you, you close people out otherwise, right? Well, I, I, it's not up for me to turn into their world and be like, okay, so I'm going to speak to you in Castellano. Please speak to me back. Who, who am I to say that? Yeah. What's really funny is when I went over to their school when I was in high school as a part of the exchange program, the teachers for a day had to speak only in Castellano, and a lot of the kids there don't even no. speak it. They don't know yeah. it. So they had to miss a whole day of school because <laughs> all the Americans didn't speak Catalan. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's like, whoa, like I know more, quote unquote, Spanish yeah. than most of the people that live yeah. here. It's very it, fascinating. It, it, that, that, that is as well. When you leave Barcelona, you are in like Catalan, Catalonia, and they only Catalonia. speak in Catalan. And it is it's just so different. It's like two different worlds that have collided and Barcelona is like the hub of it all. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting though what you said yeah. it's about yeah. the closing out and bringing in. I've never had that perspective on it, how, how that works before. Yeah, it's very interesting part. I feel like that can exist within a domain as well. So the language you're using to describe your life as an influencer, how you make money. Sorry, what? <clears throat> influencer? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the... Yeah, content creator. <laughs> Darling. Yeah, the, the language you use to describe how you make money <laughs> as a storyteller. Um, who speaks who speaks all all the subsets of Spanish. I, I think that's what's really interesting here is I think there's a lot of translators in the world, but there's not many translators within the same language. And and that's I think what I've been kicking around today is actually it's an amazing thing that you're able to do to take thoughts in one language mm -hmm. and put them to another. Mm -hmm. But how about doing that within within domains? Yeah, no, I thought I was thinking about what you said earlier about that and and what you said about like being able to speak to someone in numbers, right? Like, you've got to read the room and sort of, like, for example, my granddad is like, so have you got a job now then? And I'm like, no, granddad, I, I, I'm, I'm a freelancer. And he's like, so I'll drink money. What do you write about? Where does it go on the website? And I have to like, I have to change how I explain what I do. If I was to have this conversation with my granddad right now and he was here, he would be like, what the absolute hell are you talking about? This is ridiculous. So it is about being able to see like, okay, this is clearly not getting in here. I need to speak to my granddad in his terms. So basically, I write something 
someone pays me for it and then other people get to read it. You know, like that's so simple and so fundamental. Like he worked as a fishmonger down the docks and right. sold fish. Right. Like, and so he just can't comprehend what I do. And that's, it is really boring. Like what you say, like you need, and it, it's not always possible to do because some people aren't just aren't going to be under, able to understand. But if you're able to get into their head and be like, okay, so what, like, how do I make them understand this? That it's a skill to have. How do you do that? That's my question. If they speak the same language as you and they can't say, I speak Catalan yeah. or Castellano, I'm getting it wrong with my terrible Spanish. <laughs> no, that was, that was perfect. I was right. What? Like, that does not exist in the English language. Mm. In theory. In theory. But in actuality, it does. So what you're talking about is like um, an underground understanding and not how a literal do you understanding. How do you find that? How do I personally do it? The well, just, yeah. I just don't know. Like, I, the answer is I don't know. Like, you, it either it either works or it doesn't. I've been in situations before where, even so like I use my granddad again. Like sometimes I can see I've explained something, and it's it's the way that I sure you understand. And he just looks at me blankly. You know, like it's not always going to work. But if you can find a way of being able to do that, like then you're onto something. It's it's the ability to understand when when you're not communicating in a way that's understandable by someone else. That is the most important thing, because if you don't have that, you're never going to be able to try and make them understand. Does that make sense? So how do you do this for your social media? Because social media, I would say, is language-less. Yeah. In, 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 in theory. Yeah, it, it is. It is. But with my stories, I'm sure you'll have seen, there's almost always a written element to it to try and help build a story around the pictures. It's not just a lot of, like, 10 pictures of, of the, 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 the first-class flight I was on or the fancy hotel that I'm staying in. It'll be like, there's an element to that that will be teaching someone about it that you wouldn't have learned just by looking at the picture. And how, how do I make sure that's understandable to all of my, to, to my audience? Because they don't say to you, hey, Dan, if you want to reach 10x, use this word. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's a really good point, actually. I guess it just comes from experience and we're realizing what people engage with and what people don't. Because the responses I get and the comments I get I know what resonates with the audience now. So I guess probably subconsciously more than anything else, I do now create my content in a way that I know is gonna have the desired effect on the people that I'm creating it for. You said earlier though, and I agree with this, that you hated your parents for the, for the Xbox time limit, but now you respect them. Social doesn't really give you that longevity. It's like, oh, did you like that today? But three years from now, you could love it and it doesn't pop off. And so I'm curious, what I'm curious about is how is that dictating the language people use, even though it's not necessarily the language that gets them to understand the fundamental idea because of the economic incentives that are at present? I really don't know, you know. That's like... I, it, me neither. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never thought about it like that as well. Um, you stumped me on that one, to be honest. Good, that's all we're here to that's, do. That's definitely like, what? <laughs> well, because we're talking about language, yeah. right? And it's like... What I wanted to ask you is, what's your language? You speak literally five, and then you're really good at social media, which I think you've... I agree it's a skill, but it, I think it's a language. My language is authenticity. Fundamentally, I think that's, that's the language I speak, and it's, it's, it's not something that is easy to do, and it's, you have to learn it. You have to learn to be authentic. It's really hard sometimes to, to fully like open yourself up and be true to who you are, especially when there are so many people who are already with the keyboard warriors ready to go and tear you down for, for being who you are. But I think as well, like as an openly gay man in the world, I think that has been a part of that. Like 
if I'm gonna wear my heart on my sleeve and be who I am in in and express my sexuality, why can't I do that in in every element of my life? And if and if I am authentic and true to who I am, and that's the language that I speak, and someone doesn't resonate with it, that's their problem, not mine. At the end of the day, like I get off, I'm so much more happy at the end of the day knowing that like if I've met someone or I've had an encounter or I've written something, that nothing about it was fake, that it was me being me and whether I was liked or disliked by that person or, or whether what I wrote or what I was, was, was enjoyed or not, then that's fine because, you know, like I'd rather that than try to turn myself into someone that I'm not and speak in a way that I think people are going to want to hear because at the end of the day, you're only, you're only fooling yourself. Dan, what I wanted to say is you've blown us away, but we haven't been blown away. <laughs> Hold it on tight. Yeah, exactly. So look, you're on an eight week press trip I'm assuming it's your first time in America since the pandemic. It is. To end, just give us the highlights, man. Like, what the hell have you been up to? And, and so, what have you seen? And what have you loved? So, sorry, again, this mic, I'm not used to this. Um, you know, it was actually, this trip was just, I'd got a comped fl return flight to the UK, uh, to the US from the UK with JetBlue. And that was to create content for the airline and write a review about the flight. And I was like, you know what? Like, I need to build on that. I need to turn this into something that I want to go and see some friends, I want to see some new places. Let's turn it into a big trip and use that to like springboard into other things. And so I was so nervous, like the night before this trip, that to the point where like I had a really bad stomach and I suffer with like irritable bowel syndrome. I'm not afraid to say it. Like and anxiety is something I take medication for every single day. And so the whole combination of the pressure of this trip coming up made me like, like ill in my stomach. Like, I wasn't unwell. But I was like, wow, I know how much this means to me because of like what's going on in my stomach right now. And I remember the morning, like we left the hotel to go to the airport, me and Chelsea, and we almost missed the flight. We didn't almost miss the flight, but like they closed the tunnel to get to Heathrow. So we had to get a bus back the wrong way. And from the very start, this trip has been laden with like little things that are sent to make you stronger, right? And anyway, we, the, the flight over here was... It was work, so I was stressed and I was like, oh my God, I need to get all this content. But there were time, there was a part of that flight where I absolutely loved it, when I could chill out and enjoy it. But seeing the coastline of the US while the sun was setting for the first time since the pandemic, not knowing when I was gonna come back here, it like, it honestly, like it made me really emotional. I was like, this is it, like, I'm back in America. Like, who knows what's gonna happen from now. And so from that, so from the initial flight over here, I built in a lot of hotel reviews and flight reviews for the website Upgraded Points that I write for primarily, it's my biggest client. And so if I have an idea of a flight or a hotel I want to review, I pitch it to my CEO and he says, yes, okay, that's cool. And you can do that or not, da, da, da. And he's been great. Um, we have a great working relationship and it's been an absolute breath of fresh air, to be honest, to work with someone who is so open to uh, my creativity, my ideas. And so I've got a couple of hotel stays comped. I've got just little things happening here and there and a potential luggage brand deal coming on. And it's just, there's just lots of bits of things going on. But so every, most flights that I'm taking, I'm reviewing and some hotels I'm reviewing. So my trip, I arrived in New York. Um, it was freezing cold and I bought a jacket, especially for the trip that was foldable down into a tiny little ball from Uniqlo, which was a great jacket. And I was like, right, once I've been in New York for five days, I won't have to use that again. Flew. American Airlines flagship business from New York, San Francisco. And it was fucking freezing for an entire week. And I had to wear my jacket every single day. And I was like, this is not California. What the hell? I was, I was led alive. SF will get you on oh that. Oh my God. SF will get you on that. And then we did an incredible road trip from, I stayed actually in San Jose and we went down and we, we called in at um, Pismo Beach, Santa Barbara, and then ended up in West Hollywood. 
if I did that again, I have my time again, I'd do that over a two week period, not five days and stay in so many more places. But I would, that was the hardest part for me was trying to balance the travel and balance the work. And for me, that was actually a really stressful week. And then we got to LA and we both got run down and that's when I started getting sick and this whole two things happened. So that was intense. It was nice to have like a, a more chill time in LA. Then I flew here on Monday been hanging out with a friend who has an apartment in Midtown. From here, I'm supposed to fly to Colombia um, on Tuesday, but that might be knocked on the head if I have to have surgery on Monday. A friend's coming to meet me from Martinique. A friend's coming to meet me from the UK, my housemate. We traveled around Colombia for two weeks. Then we're flying to Martinique in the Caribbean where my friend lives um, via Miami, staying there for 10 days. And then hopefully I've got some work in St. Lucia, then Grenada, then um, St. Martin. And then from there, I don't know. I'll come back to the US either to Miami or New York, but it's undecided yet. How do you stay sane in all this? It, like, the kind of chaos and adventure that ensues with this kind of trip, it makes me feel so alive. And that is the thing, I think, the overwhelming emotion that I sort of, is keeping me going is the fact that like, I, it's just, this is the most alive I felt in a long time. Like we'd be locked away for two years, not being able to live our lives and doing this kind of like, who's, who, who, whose idea was it that we need to be sat at a desk in an office nine to seven every day and that is life. Why, why, why is that life? Why is that what we have to do? Like, why can't I be in a different country every single week, make money doing so, and not have a routine or a structure? Like, why can't that also be something that people aspire to do or something that is considered being successful, right? Like, and, and that for me is the most exciting thing, is doing this thing that A, people don't understand, B, which makes me feel so fulfilled. And I think it's all A and B, basically, that's it. But yeah, so... Yeah, I think I'll probably end there with that one. <laughs> I was going to go for the A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and nah, nah, just A and B is fine. <laughs> That's enough, A and B is fine. That's beautifully put. Um, well, Dan, I wanted to say, say thank you for your time, man. Thank I mean, you for having me, I appreciate it. I hope this is the first of many conversations. Definitely. But I feel like what we discussed in terms of language and what life really is and also just the perils and the upside of being a freelancer, like I just appreciate the honesty. I think it's a middle ground that is so powerful, but a lot of people are fearful of when... Actually, the, the freedom that they want is, is the safety that they like love. Yeah. And for me, I've always been a risk taker. I, one of my mottos of life, it doesn't really translate into American English, is shy bends, getting out. It's like a Geordie phrase and basically means you can say if you don't ask, you don't get. It's quite a simple way of putting it, but it's more like if you don't put yourself out there and try and do something, you'll never know if it worked out. Oh. And so that's how I kind of live my life. Like shy bends, getting out. Don't try it. You'll never know. And what dialect is that? Geordie. It's Geordie? Yeah. Oh, I love that. I, I say it so much that my housemate actually for Christmas got me, um, Tommy, you got me like a framed thing of it from my wall in my house that so just says Shy Ben's Get Now as you walk into my house and I think it's like perfect. Yeah. Well, that's the name of this episode. Shy Ben's Get Now. You're going to have to. It's true. You're going to have to spell it for me. Yeah, I will do. Shy Ben's Get Now. Love it. Awesome. Dan Thank Ross, you very much. My friend. Take care. Cheers.